to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Thank you for joining us tonight. In this episode, we're focusing on eye health and vision challenges related to diabetes with musical inspiration from TLC and music from their album, Crazy Sexy Cool. You know, this album was certified 12 times platinum and sold over 23 million copies worldwide. TLC's album achieved diamond status, won Grammy Awards, as well as the Video of the Year Award at the MTV Music Awards for Waterfall. Did you also know that August is Vision and Learning Month? Well, the goal of this month is to help increase awareness among parents and educators on the prevalence of undiagnosed and misdiagnosed vision problems. I know a lot of you listeners have been putting off your annual doctor's appointment due to COVID-19 and the Delta variant. And I just want to tell you my story that I got over my fears and I went to see my doctor and I had my yearly dilated eye exam, which is so important. And I am so glad I did because um, eye disease is very common and a lot of the diseases go unnoticed for a long time and actually have no symptoms at first. So that's why it's so important Talk to your doctor if you have any fears, uh, work out what the safety protocols will be, and make sure you go get your yearly dilated eye exam. My guests tonight include optometrist Dr. Cheryl Reynolds, uh, retina specialist and surgeon Dr. Rishi Singh, focus on diabetes champion Natalie Caraval, our very own Patricia Addy Gentle, and the reigning Royal Miss U.S. United, Andrea Sledge, who has chosen Divabetic as her platform for this year's pageant? Ooh la la. That's right. She's giving us glamour, fearless in droves. We can't wait to talk to her tonight on this episode. Uh, throughout the podcast, we're going to be featuring music from TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool album, courtesy of Sony Music. Before we get things started, though, I want to encourage you to follow Diva Bedek on YouTube and Facebook. Hit the subscription button for, on iTunes so you never miss an episode of this show. And join us for two free upcoming outreach programs on Zoom. Our first one is Salad Making Party with our uh, favorite nutritionist, registered dietitian, Jill Weissenberger, and a sugar-free baking party with Stacey Harris, known as the Diabetic Pastry Chef. Both programs are free, and you can go to Eventbrite for details. You know, Stacey Harris gives us recipes every year for our annual mystery podcast. And those fans out there, which there are a lot of them, you know that annual podcast is next month. That's right. We don't do a regular show. We become a cast, and we put on a radio drama. It's going to be uh, September 14th, and I can't wait. Tuesday, September 14th at 6 p.m., we have been in rehearsals. I've been in rewrites. Uh, this show this year has a holiday theme to it. It's called A Christmas Peril, and it's inspired by a real-life tragic story of Kevin Hodeschel. This is a man who could not renew an expired prescription for insulin, and his family's heroic work to make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else. And so I hope you tune into this episode. Uh, our cast has really gone out of their way to get this story right uh, and to uh, tell it truthfully. And we've been working with our educators as well as some medical experts to get everything uh, ship-shape and uh, ready to kick off and rise that curtain in September. Right now, though, it's time for more music. So I'm going to kick it off with Kick Your Game, Courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Paint against the wall, checking out the scenery. All I see. 
Um, you could see changes that indicate that the patient has lack of oxygen to the eye, which could happen with diabetes. So if we can detect those earlier, we can save their sight. So a dilated exam is critical in detecting earlier changes in the back of the eyes. And, and, and more importantly, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt, but also some of those changes I might not even be know might not know are happening, right? I mean, I might not know uh, there's something going on behind my eyes. So even though I might be thinking like, what do I need exam? I don't think my eye vision has changed at all. Everything's fine. That might not be true. Is that correct? And that is so correct. In fact, as you know, diabetes. Um, is one of the leading causes of blindness, or it robs you of your sight in our younger adults. Those are those that are 20 to 74 years of age. And a lot of times there's no symptoms at all in the early stages. So you can have patients that have the bleeding that I mentioned earlier and have no visual problems. They're seeing 20-20 vision. They have no interference in their activities, you know, of daily living, driving, things of that nature. But um, they have changes in the back of the eyes. And we want to catch those changes earlier so that we can preserve their sight and make sure that they don't lose their vision. Yeah, we were excited we were going to have you on the show, Dr. Ronald, so we asked some of our Divabetic community for some questions. I want to kick it off with a few of those and then get back to some of the more basic questions I had for you tonight. But one of them came from Diane, who's from Plattsburgh. And she wondered if there's any downsides to buying reading glasses at your drugstore. So, um, you know, reading glasses at the drugstores are good, but I will say to patients that do that that it's important to have a comprehensive dilated eye exam as well, especially to our diabetic patients. Again, you can have good vision um, or good vision until you hit 40, and then you need those reading glasses. And then you go to the drugstore and you get the reading glasses, but you could have changes in the back of the eye. So the reading glasses are not bad. Um, However, it's important that the listeners know that a dilated comprehensive eye exam for all patients with diabetes is critically important. Yeah, so what you're really saying is, like, if you're, that's, don't shortchange it. Make sure you go right. to your doctor, even if you could buy those. Uh, gla- we see all those glasses at the drugstore. All right, so um, we've got Helen from Fort Lauderdale. How does climate change affect my eye health? I've heard that direct sunlight could affect impact my sight. So Have you heard anything change, about climate change affecting your eye health? Well, you know, not so much uh, climate change affecting your eye health, but some of the impact of climate change, right? So uh, it's hotter outside. People are inside a little bit more. They're spending more time in front of a computer. So there's computer visual issues or computer uh, fatigue syndrome. Drier eyes when you're inside with the AC. We're seeing a lot more patients with drier eyes. In fact, Patients that have diabetes tend to have drier eyes than those without diabetes as well. And, you know, if you're outside, you want to make sure that you're wearing UV protection because you know that exposure to UV can lead to cataracts development in the eye as well. So there are some changes that are going on in the climate that can impact the eyes indirectly, um, and those are the things. And that's why it's important to have a comprehensive eye exam, just to make sure that you don't have cataracts and your eyes are very healthy. Well, how about all the smoke that's coming from all the fires raging in the West? Does that have any impact on your eyes? I mean, is that just temporary or is there anything people should look out for? 
Yeah, so again, those are eye irritants. It can cause uh, foreign body sensation. It can cause the patients to have drier eyes. We're seeing a lot more patients with ocular surface or the eye surface where it's drier, more irritable because of the environment, and they need more treatment. So it's not these regular over-the-counter drops that you can use. You may have to be prescribed uh, drops for dry eyes because your eyes are much more dry because of those irritants. So yes, those wildfires um, that you know smoke that can cause eye problems as well. All right, thank you. Well, one more question coming up, but first I want to ask you: like, you're newly diagnosed with diabetes, you're going to go to your eye doctor. Should what what kind of research should they do ahead of time? Are there certain tests they should be asking for? Should they bring a friend? Like, what do you recommend for someone who's just been diagnosed with diabetes, found out that they've heard this conversation tonight, they know they might be at risk for several other things. We just talked about several of those conditions might not have any symptoms. How, how should they approach going to see someone like you, Dr. Reynolds? Well, thank you for that. I think, you know, coming to see an optometrist for a comprehensive eye exam, I think it's important to bring some of your medical information with you. It's important for all our patients with diabetes to know their, you know, blood sugar level or how well controlled they are because your blood sugar level or your control can impact your vision. We know that patients that have high uh, blood sugar levels can uh, that can cause your prescription to change or to fluctuate. And the doctor needs to know that because if there's a change in the prescription, it could be secondary to those levels not being as well controlled. I think it's important also to to let us know your primary care doctor's information or your endocrinologist's information. Who's taking care of your diabetes? Bring that information with you because it's important for the eye doctor to communicate with your treating physician so that he or she is aware that you're getting a comprehensive dilated eye exam. And I just want to tap on bringing family and friends. It's important if you're newly diagnosed with diabetes because it runs in the family, it's a genetic disease, that you have that family family support. So bringing a family member as well is important, making sure that the family is aware that they too could potentially have diabetes and the importance of an eye exam. So bringing those information uh, with you when you come to the eye doctor, knowing that the eye doctor is not just going to check your prescription and give you glasses, but it's also based on how well you're controlled. They may or may not give you the glasses because your blood sugar is too high. And then also to make sure that when you go to the eye doctor that you're getting a dilated comprehensive eye exam. Some doctor's offices will take a picture of the eye and say, you know, we'll get back in touch with you about the picture. And that's telehealth is a big thing when they take pictures of the back of your eyes. But I think it's important to also have that dilated component as well so that the physician can look clearly and and thoroughly at the back of the eyes. So those are some of the things I want the patients to understand when they go to the eye doctor, that it's important for them to get the drops in their eyes, not just the pictures. I think it's great advice. Just to talk me a little bit through the time frame. I know there, we, you just mentioned something that I think is important to acknowledge is the fear factor when going to your doctor and the unknown. So when you hear about vision loss and blindness being one of the leading, uh, diabetes being the leading cause, cause of adult onset blindness, people might be thinking, like, how soon does that happen? And I'm, I'm sure you can't really give me an exact time frame, but can you kind of walk us through 
again, like, why is so, you know, like, it's been two years now. Some people have not gone to their eye doctor, I'd say, since, you know, at the start of the whole pandemic. Where, let's start with someone like that. Where are they? What should they be thinking? And why would they want to go next? Yeah, so, again, you know, I'm a proponent of having a yearly comprehensive eye exam. It really depends on how well they're controlled. We know that the longer you have the disease, the duration of the disease is an important factor. In patients that have type 1 diabetes, after about 20 years or so, they may have some changes in the back of the eyes, uh, which we call diabetic retinopathy. That's the uh, term for that. Um, In patients with type 2 diabetes, it's important that they get diagnosed at the time of diagnosis with their diabetes because they may have had diabetes longer and were unaware that they had the disease. And so even though they had their diagnosed just now, they could have had diabetes for three or four years before uh, they got diagnosed. So it's important to have a yearly comprehensive eye exam and just note that the best thing that you can do is control of your disease. We always tell our patients the ABCs of diabetes is important. Knowing your A1C or your blood sugar level is very important. Um, Making sure other comorbidities such as um, or other diseases such as blood pressure and cholesterol are well controlled. Patients who have good control after 20 years, 30 years, some of these patients may not have any retinopathy because they have good control of their diabetes. For those that where the blood sugar is fluctuating and changing, um, and, you know, I want to just touch on especially the minority community. You tend to see that a lot in the minority community uh, for multifactorial reason, whether it's access to quality foods or they're working more and they're more stressed. Blood sugar tends to be not as well controlled, so it's important for those patients to really get a comprehensive dilated eye exam. So duration is important. Uh, Like I said, after 20 years in type 1, most of those patients will have retinopathy. Um, You know, usually with type 2, it depends on the time of diagnosis. We want to make sure we check them at that time. And those patients who you said uh, two years, they haven't been, it's important to go even, you know, now that we're open up a little bit to the eye doctor, uh, of course, doing all of the safety things that are necessary, wearing masks, masks during this pandemic, so you can get a comprehensive eye exam to make sure that there's nothing going on in the back of the eye because it's not just the duration, it's also the control. So those patients for those two years, we want to make sure that they were well controlled. If they're not well controlled, their likelihood of having more ocular changes or more retinal changes is uh, a little bit more. And also, too, note that diabetes doesn't just always cause bleeding in the back of the eyes. Patients that have diabetes are more at risk for cataract development as well as a disease called glaucoma in addition to other diabetic changes, which uh, glaucoma is a leading cause of blindness as well. So there are other conditions um, that needs to be detected in these patients, and that's why an eye exam is so important. And I wanted to touch on that for a minute with cataracts and glaucoma because specifically cataracts. Now, this is something that my grandparents had, and it really really stopped their vision. But today there's so many advances in in protecting my vision, right, or correcting that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's something very exciting, that the clouding of the lens and what you could do through, I believe, laser surgery. 
Well, yeah. So cataracts, again, you know, di- patients with diabetes are 60% more likely to have cataracts, but we know one of the risks is also UV. So if you wear UV protection in your glasses, it, sort of, it slows down the development of cataracts. But also, too, it's age. So we know that growing up, makes you more at risk for having cataracts. And once your vision is affected, the newest, latest procedure, um, does, there's no cutting. It's a small, they could use laser to help uh, guide the uh, ophthalmologist in making a more precise uh, correction or precise incision. They go in with a small probe, like mo- most surgeries, they use these micro probes. They go in, um, they remove the cataractus lens or the lens that or the structure that has become cloudy. They put the implant in. It's an outpatient procedure. You're not asleep for the procedure. It's usually done within 30 minutes. You know, of course, the time for the surgeon or even less. But you wait, um, of course, to make sure you're healing good. By the next day, you see well. So cataract surgery has really evolved to a process of an outpatient procedure, quick healing, quick turnaround. And most patients are doing so well with cataract surgery. And they have different implants now that will help the patients with their quality of life. They have multifocal implants, um, implants that help patients see at distance, the computer, and up close. So those options that our parents before have, no, we have so much more and so many better options um, for when you have cataracts. I love it. All right, so we have our final question uh, from Denise, who's up in the Finger Lakes. We love the Finger Lakes up in upstate New York. Denise says she's been on the computer all the time since she's been working remotely, and she feels like she is suffering from some kind of dry eye. Can you talk a little bit about computer use? And I guess, like you mentioned earlier, something about dry eye, that dry eye could be related to diabetes. Yeah, so again, with computer use, we're seeing a lot more patients, especially with the pandemic, and a lot of Zoom and a lot of computer having more ocular symptoms or ocular signs. And part of the issue is that we're not blinking as much as we should. We're staring at the monitors a little bit more and not blinking as we should, so we're having some dryness of our front part of our eyes because of the computer use. So that could be one of the problems for um, the caller. You know, when she speaks to her eye doctor, they'll recommend lubricating drops. But if you have diabetes or a patient with diabetes is also using the computer and having these symptoms. It could also not only be the computer user, computer vision syndrome, uh, sitting at the computer a long time, um, not blinking properly, but also, too, if your sugar levels aren't well controlled or your diabetes is not well controlled, that can make the dry eyes worse or make it more symptomatic. So I encourage all my patients that have diabetes and have those complaints to definitely utilize uh, lubricating drops that I recommend. Not all lubricating drops are the same, so, um, you know, clear eyes may not work as well as something else. So you want to talk to your eye doctor about those symptoms when you do go in for your eye exam. Thank you, Dr. Reynolds. You were awesome. And I'm sure you shine a light in some of your patients, which is why we are going to dedicate our next song by TLC off of Crazy Sexy Cool Red Light Special to you. So here's Red Light Special from TLC's <laughs> breakout you. album, Crazy Sexy Cool, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Thanks for joining us. Take a good
Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Hey, we've been going 11 years strong, and tonight we're focusing on eye health all night long. <laughs> My next guest is on Instagram, which is kind of surprising because he's a staff surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic's Cole Eye Institute, the medical director of informatics at the Cleveland Clinic, and the associate professor at the Learner College of Medicine. He's a retina specialist and a surgeon. Please welcome to the show Dr. Rishi Singh. Hello, Dr. Singh. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Ah, well, so glad to have you on the show. I, you have like quite a social media profile, and I was watching something about you on YouTube that I thought our audience would really like to hear, which is the story about how you even got interested in optimo- ophthalmology because you were uh, had a work-study job in college washing dishes at a court, um, in a research lab. So can you tell us a little bit about that because I just thought it was a great story. Yeah, no, it was actually my first foray. You know, back in the day, we used to work for our college grants, and I had a a job that I got. I had the choice between the kitchen or the laboratory, and uh, thankfully the laboratory job was a little cleaner. And they allowed me to do dishwashing as part of it, and at the same time they allowed me to learn about the research they were doing, which happened to be focused on eye-related diseases, and actually I learned how to do a lot of techniques that way through that process. Yeah, that's so, I mean, it, it, and you had a really great mentor who believed in you, you said, and, and really told you, uh, thought there was, made you think there's more to yourself at that time. So what else sparked that interest in ophthalmology? You know, I, I think it was an area, Max, where you can tell that there was a, a lot of potential for innovation. At the time when I was a, a medical student, there were only two drugs, really. It was either laser or steroids. So there wasn't really a lot of hope for patients. And I thought, you know, if I applied myself and I learned some of the techniques that we just uh, learned in the lab and otherwise, could I maybe find the next greatest therapeutic or the next understanding of a disease state for this condition? And so that's what I've made my mission on is to always make a contribution to the field of ophthalmology and the work I do. Great. All right. Well, I know that some some, uh, issues regarding eye health don't have symptoms, but there are some symptoms that might... Uh, some common symptoms that might tell people more about what's going on with our eye health. So let's talk about a few of these, and maybe you could either tell us it's a myth or tell us the truth. So when it comes to blurry vision, uh, and many people have blurry vision from time to time, is it important to get that checked? Is that telling me anything if I'm having uh, constant blurry vision or pretty, uh, you know, regular blurry vision? Yeah, I would say even intermittent blurry vision is a, is a concern. You know, we as as individuals obviously value our eye health and our eye our vision, and you know I think that there's some some psychological underpinnings to this where people say, well, I'm getting older, my vision should be worse, or I'm I'm working a lot, my vision should be worse, or maybe I have diabetes and my vision should be worse. And the answer is, in none of those cases should it really be worse. It actually should be managed and figured out what the cause might be. So whether it's intermittent, constant, uh, in nature, episodic, uh, those are all indications to see an eye care specialist like Dr. Reynolds, who you just heard from as an optometrist, or someone like me who's a retina specialist, and I see patients with these sort of conditions. All right, and now here's the next one, which this is something personal. I was playing tennis like two years ago. I thought I saw a fly was in my range of vision. I kept swinging away, like trying to move the fly or the little bug, and it turned out it was a floater. 
I know a lot of people get them as they're older, but what is a floater, and what what is that is that any telltale sign of anything going on with my eye health? Yeah, it's a great question, and it happens to all of us as we get a little bit more mature in life. Basically, a floater is where the vitreous jelly becomes condensed and pulled away from the back of the eye. Two-thirds of our eyeball is filled up with this jelly, and as we get a, a little bit more older, this jelly contracts and becomes more liquefied and comes off the walls of the back of the eye. And so what you're seeing right now actually is the vitreous condensations or changes in the vitreous cavity as you move around. And so, so is it is there any cure for a floater? Yeah. Well, the most important thing you want to do is you want to make sure you get a dilated eye examination. That's that a painless test we talked about before, where you put drops in your eyes and look in the back of the eye to look at the retina to make sure there's no sign of retinal tear or detachment or any other problem. And the answer is most of these floaters go away with time. Uh, more people by the first year or six months after the initial event don't really notice floaters at all. Uh, some people will notice them from time to time, but for the vast majority of people, it will resolve uh, without any indication. There's an occasional patient or two, probably once a year I'll have, where I have to remove the floaters mechanically, which I can do, but it's only in very extreme cases where really, it really affects their activities of daily living. All right, and now let's talk about, we just played red light special, bright flashing lights and avail across your vision. What does that mean? Is it a telltale sign for anything, and what is that? Yeah, when you see bright flashing lights, uh, a series of shower or floaters, or curtain or veil, black so that you can't see through it, that's a sign of a retinal tear or detachment. And that's always a concern to people because that could mean that there could be a permanent loss of visual acuity if not addressed or treated. And the way we treat that is we look at, again, in the back of the eye to see what the situation is. Occasionally, if it's a retinal tear, it can be just lasered in the office without any difficulty. Sometimes where it's more involved, somebody like me, a retina specialist, will come in and do a surgery to repair the retina and put the retina back into its right position so you can continue to see for the rest of your life. Is there a warning sign before that happens? I mean, is a blurry vision or any of the things we've talked about earlier a sign before I might see a bright flashing light, or is that something that can just come on, you know, with no symptoms, I suddenly start having bright flashing lights or that veil across my vision like you just described? Yeah, it can happen spontaneously, and it can happen after trauma. So if you're in a car accident or have a jarring sort of injury, or potentially if you're in one of those uh, sort of new uh, uh, amusement park rides even, because you're jarring the eye or jarring the head around, you can really move the vitreous around enough to cause the problem to happen. Obviously, it's only in those who are predisposed. It doesn't happen to everyone in their, the ride. But it can happen to people in their, you know, middle to late ages where they might have this sort of condition predisposing, and then this sort of condition comes around where you might jar it up and move it around a little bit more. All right, and finally, let's talk a little bit about vision that wanders to the side. Yeah, vision that wanders to the side is a sign that the eye is not seeing well, and that's always a concern because there's a, a, a it basically means you're ignoring that eye in some way, shape, or form. You've probably seen sometimes people have a deviation of the eye where their eye rotates outward. Uh, that might be from, uh, again, the vision being poor in that eye. It also might be a sign that there's a muscle imbalance in the eye. You're all, we all have these muscles in both of our eyes that work in concert with each other. And sometimes when one eye has a, a palsy because of uh, basically poor blood flow or some other nerve-related issue, or maybe there's another issue regarding their just inability to, to 
uh, keep their muscles straight as they get older, those are all reasons to get investigated by an ophthalmologist. All right. And now I want to move on to some terms that we've heard, but probably many of us don't know what they mean, starting with macular edema. What is macular edema? Right. So this is a great question because it relates to the uh, swelling in the back of the eye. And there are lots of conditions that can give you swelling in the back of the eye in the macula, which is the most sensitive portion of your vision. Uh, And basically the way you want to evaluate it, it could be due to many different conditions, diabetes, a stroke of the eye, even macular degeneration can give you macular edema. So it's important to differentiate those causes because there's different treatments for each one. And so how do you treat uh, macular edema based on uh, related to diabetes? Is it a laser treatment? Is it an injection treatment? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Max. You know, what's happened in the past couple of years is the, um, uh, the, the transition has been from laser treatments, which are the older sort of style of treatments, which are destructive, to a newer tri- type of treatment where we give eye injections of an anti-growth hormone drug. And this drug essentially causes the blood vessels to shrink and to decrease the amount of fluid they're leaking out. And as a result, people can see a lot better with these injections that are given. And I know we're going to be talking to uh, focus on diabetes advocate Natalie Carabell later who's had eye injections. But just from the perspective of hearing it for the first time, it kind of freaks me out. What is that like? How do you inject something into my eye? Am I asleep? Am I awake? I mean, do I do you numb it out? How does that work? Well, you know, I think it's, we obviously do it in the office a lot. We do uh, lidocaine in and around the eye to make you comfortable. We talk to you about what we're doing for the procedure. It's very painless. We're done with very small needles. And again, it, it can occur, um, obviously, it can be treated very rapidly with these sort of treatments. And, and let's, let's be clear, I mean, I think the biggest people that are at risk for this sort of condition are our patients with diabetes, and diabetes is really growing at an exponential rate. So if you're a pre-diabetic or even diabetic, I would say to you, this is a good time to get an eye examination to learn more about what we can do for your eye health. Okay. And now let's move on to diabetic retinopathy, since you just were talking about specifically people with diabetes tonight. Uh, what is excuse me, what is diabetic retinopathy? Diabetic retinopathy is where you have leaking of the blood vessels uh, due to high sugars. So as you have high blood sugar in a state of diabetes, uh, this can lead to the damage of the supportive cells of the retinal of the retina, which then lead to leakage points in the, those vessels and eventually develops new blood vessels that form in the late stages of the disease. So think of this as an evolution, and this is sort of the beginning, uh, and this is the stages in which we were most concerned about taking care of patients with this condition. And what are some of the outcomes of that? Because um, a lot of it's been reported that most people over 40 don't believe that there's any treatment for vision loss. And I don't know if that's true or false. I'd love to elaborate on that. But also, what are, what are the outcomes after treatment for someone with diabetic retinopathy? Yeah, so there's some really great uh, treatments out there, and they're really quite promising. It depends on if you come in early versus late. And for those who are interested, we have a website that uh, we worked on a while ago that helps to explain this a little bit better. It's called www.looktoyourfuture.com. That's a website where we can talk about how uh, diabetes can affect eye health, but the answer truly is at this stage in, uh, of our treatment cycles, 
and what we have available, there's very unlikely chances you'll go blind from these conditions. Given good therapies out there now and the ability to get these treatments available, almost every shop owner who's an ophthalmologist or a retina specialist, you can imagine that there, this is making a huge difference as far as the number of patients who develop diabetes and diabetic retinopathy as well as diabetic macular edema, again, the swelling on the center part of the vision. All right, and before we get to a couple grab-back questions, I want to ask you about data since you started, like you said, in a lab and you specialize or you spend a lot of your time, as I've read, doing collecting data. What, are, what How does data and, and having these populations where you collect data from people, how does that affect what you're doing as a retina specialist and a surgeon? Like why would I want to be part of a study? Right, that's a great question and it's something we deal with a lot, Max, because you know, I think patients have uh, some reservations about sharing data sometimes. Obviously, we hear the horror stories of sharing your credit card and your phone number and your, your Social Security number. And that, we're not doing that sort of thing. We're really focused on, on sharing some of the generalized data that we get from patients. And the reason why that's important is because one patient can't help you make a diagnosis or make a, a, an algorithm to find a disease state or determine prediction of disease progression over time. Those are very technical in nature, and they require many patients to do that, hundreds of thousands of patients sometimes do that. So patients, I think, the, the, I guess the takeaway from this, if you're listening at home and you're thinking, should I be sharing my data with my doctor? The answer is we have very secure ways of doing so, and it can help you better take care of you as a patient in order for us to make sure that you get the best possible care you can receive by using some of these more automated ways of detection of disease, potentially also prediction of disease progression over time. All right. Now, let's grab that. We've got Evelyn from New Orleans. Hello, Evelyn. Um, can I have diabetic retinopathy in just one eye, or does it have to, have to happen? does it happen to both of my eyes? Yes, that's a great question, Evelyn. And the answer is it does typically happen in both eyes. Uh, the one eye can be manifested as being a little bit worse than the other one might, so it might here at, at least at face value uh, that there is some uh, worsening of one eye versus the other, but truly it does happen to be in both eyes. And I think that's a really misnomer. So many people um, uh, definitely do, do think that, again, this is not an issue, um, but it, it truly is an issue that, that we can all take care of. And uh, um, Suzanne from Costa Mesa is, just wants to talk a little bit about the financial implications of seeing a retina specialist and a surgeon. Is that covered by any insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, anything like that, or is it something that it's all out of pocket? Yeah, no, it is all covered, and I think that's, again, another great misnomer about our, our treatments and what we do. Optometrists and ophthalmologists work hand-in-hand -hand to take care of patients with diabetes, and the answer is that we really work together to make sure that this happens, and it happens to be a medical-related diagnosis. So you have a diagnosis of diabetes that entitles you to an eye examination with a doctor. It doesn't entitle you to contact lenses or to LASIK surgery or something like that, but at least entitles you to a good examination where they can determine if there's any sort of related retinopathy or any problems there that need to be addressed. And finally, I want to ask you, um, I'm sure you have seen all types of patients, and many of them, I'm sure, have come in much later than they should have initially. I'm wondering what one of the common barriers has been to people coming to see you 
and what you could tell our listeners about that because I think it's just important. You know, some, we like to tell people they're not alone, and sometimes just hearing maybe that common thought of like why they're not going that and the reason they should go would, would be helpful. Absolutely. You know, I think Max, a lot of it is because people don't understand that they think that their vision is excellent, how could they be a person who has a disease like diabetic retinopathy? And the answer is that until the disease is really progressed, just like blood pressure, for example, you can't tell if you have high blood pressure today or tomorrow or low blood pressure. You only know when you have a heart attack. And what you're really trying to do in this disease state is prevent that attack from happening, prevent the loss of vision that happens from diabetes and get screened early. So it's important to understand for people, first of all, that there is disease we can take care of, even as early as form. You can't tell if you have a disease problem. And lastly, uh, I have Max, I feel like these people, they have diabetes. They also are working age adults like you and I. And so I have some sympathy about what they're dealing with regards to taking care of their family, taking care of their jobs, their loved ones, and on top of that, taking care of their own eye health. And that can be a difficult thing for them to do from a barrier standpoint as well. Well, you know, that, I want to add that that's why I think it's so great that you're on Instagram because a lot of these terms are kind of overwhelming. And like you just said, like someone who's newly diagnosed with diabetes, like macular edema, um, I'm not even reading it right now, but diabetic retinopathy, <laughs> some of these terms that you're talking about, PDR, pro, pro, so I can't even say it. Proliferative uh, diabetic retinopathy. Yeah, you did a great job, yeah. and this is I mean, why you need to. I love that you're yeah. kind of familiarizing people with it on social media because I just think the more you familiar you become with these terms, including they, what an ophthalmologist is versus an optician or optometrist, the more likely you are to seek out the help. So I just personally appreciate your accessibility through social media because, I, I, again, I feel like the more you're around it, the more you begin to want to know, like, oh, yeah, I've heard the term detached retina. It's some, And they, you start to find out what it is. Maybe you hear it about it on Jeopardy, too. I don't know. But I think it is super helpful what you're doing. I agree. And, you know, this is something I, I love doing. I love teaching people through the power of social media. And I know you're very active on social media as well. I think you've done a fantastic job educating our community about diet and exercise and other things they can do to help with their diabetes. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us, being part of the show tonight. We really appreciate it. And we're going to dedicate a song to you. It's it's one of the biggest songs off the album. But the reason we chose TLC and Crazy Sexy Cool is because one of the women in the, sh in the group is called Left Eye. That's how obvious we are sometimes. And unfortunately, she pleaded guilty to arson back in, like, 1994 when she set her boyfriend's house on fire. That's a very interesting documentary. You can also watch it on YouTube, I think. But we thought because she's so highlighted in this next song, which is one of their classics, we would dedicate Waterfalls featuring Left Eye, courtesy of Sony Music, to Dr. Fitz. Here we go. Let's Thank go. you very much. Come on. Victor to your own 
going from what I would think at times a victim mindset to a warrior mindset. So here you are, like you just admitted, a little bit uh, private about your diabetes, not thinking, uh, seeking help, like you said, cutting yourself up. When you found out that you started dealing with these added challenges, I want to get into the mindset of what pushed you to want to take care of it versus just letting it go and saying, I, this is beyond me, you know, this is my fault or whatever that mindset would be. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, how, did you, how did you begin this manifestation of going from feeling maybe feelings of regret or guilt into where you're so, uh, you know, you're seeking out doctors, you're going to appointments, and you're going further to protect your site? Complications are always a very scary part of living with diabetes, and especially being so young, I knew they existed somewhere. I knew what they kind of were, but I didn't really truly understand what that meant. And I think especially a lot of people do this where something seems off or you're like their back hurts or something, you know, you think, oh, I should go to the doctor. Maybe I should go. And there's 50 reasons why you shouldn't. But when I had my major vision problem where I had a hemorrhage, which was a bleed in my eye, I physically couldn't see it out of that eye. So there was no, there was no way around it. I, I had to go to the eye doctor. And it was such a jolt in my life where I knew I had to make a decision. What did I want to do? What did I want my life to look like? And I decided very early on that I knew it was going to be challenging and I would have to get a lot of treatments, but I wanted to travel. I wanted to live my life. And dwelling in things, it's important to feel your emotions. I think it is important. I, I was mad. I was sad. I went through the process. I was really, you know, look at other people and think, oh, look at them and they have two eyes and how come that's not me? But that doesn't help me at the end of the day. And so I give myself maybe pockets of time if not feeling great to kind of feel it out. And then I make a decision, okay. I want to take care of myself, and I want to live life to the fullest, and I need to find the best way I can do that. I love it. And part of your journey has been dealing with several eye procedures, including eye, eye injections, which we just talked a little bit about, Dr. Finch. So tell us a little bit about the eye procedures you've had, and then I'd love to finish talking more about the eye injections. But first tell us about some of the treatments you've had so far. So the, I call it the big three. I've had eye injections in both eyes. I've also had um, laser procedure in one eye was during my surgery, which I'll talk about in a second, and the other one was uh, at a patient in the office. And then I had a vitrectomy, which is an eye surgery on my right eye. And so as I mentioned before earlier, I do have uh, diabetic retinopathy in both eyes, but the right eye is more my more challenged eye, so it's had a little bit more procedures done to it. And what was the eye injection like? I mean, were you freaked out? Did you bring someone? Did you a small dog? I don't know. Like, what was when you knew you were going in for this appointment? Did you want to cancel it? I mean, so many thoughts would go through my mind about this before I would go to the before I could go through with it. I just would love to hear your your story about that. I was I was completely terrified. I, even though I've been giving myself injections for years. You're used to the thing that you do. You're not used to thinking about an injection in your eye, and I was so scared. Um, and luckily, my mom was visiting me. She was in town with me, so, I, yes, I, I took her with me to my appointments, especially at the beginning. I needed her to be there with me, especially just to be a second year. And I, I kept asking questions. Like, I, everything I looked up online was very technical, but I wanted to know, what are the steps? What does it look like? How bad is this going to be? And the, the way that I try to mentally go through it, because – it's hard to explain to someone else 
when I asked the doctor, like, what is going to happen? How bad is this? And I had to know I had to live in the moment, right? I knew I'm going to go to the appointment. I'm going to get my eyes dilated. I'm going to get my eyes numb. Numbing is amazing, by the way. And the injections, right, it's going to be in and out, and then it's going to be done, and I get to move on. And so I had to kind of piece it out in my mind as I was going through it, especially the first one, just to understand the process of what it would look like for me. And talk a little bit about, um, you just mentioned someone, I want to talk about your support system because you have been through a lot. You've been living with type 1 diabetes since you were six years old. All of this time takes time, effort, and energy. It also takes a lot of love and support and kindness from friends and family members. Let's highlight a few people in your life who have really helped make a difference. My mom is definitely number one. She was the one who learned how to get in the injections when I was six. She uh, was taught on oranges, and then I guess moved on to me. And so she she managed a lot of my care, especially when I was younger. And then as I got older, it was very interesting because, you know, as I mentioned, I was very shy about telling other people. Uh, but especially now, I took my friends to, like, my own mini training a few years ago just to explain to them what, like, levels and numbers mean, right? So if I say that my blood sugar is, you know, 250 and I'm not feeling good, they now know what that means for me. And I think that's really been important for me because it allows me that flexibility. And, and friends, friends want to be there to support you, which was a little bit shocking to me when I thought about it at the time. But they know if I say my sugar is high or low, how they can support me in those areas. And I find that now when I go out to dinner with them or do other things with them, I just feel that kind of ability that I can take care of myself while still be part of my community. And I want to talk a little bit about that overwhelm level because, you know, we do talk to a, a patient population living type 1, type 2, LADA, gestational prediabetes, as well as family members affected by it. And at some point, people hit an overwhelm. I'm just curious, like, what was one of the earliest challenges you faced that you now don't even blink your eye when you have to deal with it? I didn't mean any pun intended, but this is our eye show, so blink your eye is what I said. <laughs> Yes, the, the good old uh, diabetes burnout, it happens to all of us, and it's not something that um, it pops up and it happens, but, you know, it happens on and off, depending on what else is going on in my life, right? The more stressed out you are, the more it happens. And I think it's really important. I use a CGM, which completely changed my ability to look at my blood sugar levels, understand trends, is as much as you need to treat your sugar levels in the moment, I try to then focus out, right? So if I'm having a really bad sugar day, things are not going well, things are roller coastering all day, I try to zoom out. I'm thinking to myself, okay, my overall blood sugar levels for the week or the month is really pretty good. It's where I want to be at. So this is going to be just one bad day. And I kind of thought I'd have to grit and wade through it. Because sometimes, you're going to, even in general, right, you're going to have a bad mindset day. You're going to be anxious one day. You're going to have a bad blood sugar day. So I try to as much try to, like, allow myself the flexibility to have not a perfect day, I'm not going to be arranged to say, but I'm going to try again tomorrow, or I'm going to try it again in two days. And I think that ability to bounce back is really what makes us, right, because we're never going to have the ability to be perfect. But we can make that decision to say, okay, scrap whatever I had in the past. I want to live a full life. I want to see my friends and family. I want to travel. So I'm going to zoom out and look at the big picture. And that refocus is what makes the difference for me. And what's it been like now in the pandemic since you've mentioned travel? Like, have you been traveling? And if so, what is, what's in your bag if we were to be with you right now, Natalie, and rummaging through? What do you always carry with you that, I, you know, you're, you're really uh, a, big, a main part of our listenership is who you are, so it's great to hear what you do 
to be Natalie, like what what you carry with you. And it could be, I want to know diabetes as well as just anything that makes you feel great about yourself because just listening to you, you're passionate, you're confident. I think a lot of women and men would uh, get inspired by what you what you do daily to kind of get when you're doing these traveling and trying to do things during the pandemic. Thank you. Well, the one thing that's happened lately is I've been, I go on walks a lot, so I go I walk at least a half hour every day. I try to go somewhere new. I like a goal in mind when I go to walk, so I usually try to pick a location and I go. I always have with me, besides my insulin pens, I always have a snack ready for me to go, really big sunglasses, especially with eye challenges. I'm always putting on sunglasses to protect my eyes. And I always have a camera with me because I like to document uh, my life. I realize going through things, I didn't have videos of myself or other people in action. And so I kind of like to keep a snapshot of my everyday life. And unfortunately now, because I, and I think it's important everyone should be wearing their masks, but I used to always carry bright lipstick with me, <laughs> but that has been put in the back burner until later notice. <laughs> I want to talk about the eyeglasses because I wanted to. I want to know if that's a challenge. Are you constant? Do you have to wear eye uh, sunglasses or protective lenses everywhere you go based on the sunlight? Is direct sunlight an issue for you? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So sunglasses uh, in general. It's interesting because I never had a prescription pair of sunglasses until I started having eye problems, and then I realized I couldn't wear contacts all the time, and I rushed to get <laughs> prescription sunglasses, especially when I was having procedures. My eyes were definitely more sensitive into the sun, and now I do notice that it, it starts to get a little, my eyes start to like ache a little bit when it gets a little bit more sunny, um, versus when I never used to really notice it before, but that could just also be that I'm just so aware of my eyes. But I always make sure that I have a spare sunglasses and glasses with me at all times. I've cut back on how often I'm wearing my contacts because I used to live in them. But I know it's important for me to take breaks. So I think it's important that people always have that in mind because you don't think necessarily having a pair of, of glasses or sunglasses prescription on hand with you until you really need them, and then it's always a rush. I wanted to ask about the contact lenses. I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because, you know, vanity is a big part of how we manage our diabetes. I'm all for it. A lot of people would have thought you can't wear contacts. So with all the uh, issues you've been through, you're still able to wear contacts when you want. You just mentioned that you do take time off. So what's your regimen around wearing contacts? I was actually very nervous about the contact thing. And I used to, at first when it happened, I talked to a lot of other friends have eye problems, and we all discussed the fact that we were nervous about not having contacts because we love wearing eye makeup and, like, mascara and eyeshadow and all those fun things. And I took a, a period of time off from the contacts, and I kept asking, can I wear them, can I wear them? And it was support I was allowed to, but I definitely gradually moved into wearing contacts. But I'm just more aware of when I should take them on or off. Like, sometimes you take, like, a little bit of leverages with your contacts, like maybe you sleep in one or take a nap in one. Definitely don't do those things. Your eyes do not feel great in them. But I'm just more aware of the fact that I need to give myself a break. And I now take those breaks. I think we push through things sometimes just because I like to wear contacts more. And I like to have that look more. But it's just way more important for your body to feel comfortable. And how do you manage uh, all the challenges you've dealt with, not only with diabetes, but with your eye health as well, with just regular life and being a woman? Like, how do you put this into some kind of harmony? I know you take a walk every day for a half hour. I love that. But I'm just curious, like, do you ever get, and you mentioned burnout. Like, you know, this is a big, this is, a, especially during the pandemic, we're all dealing with mental wellness issues, including our 
diva inspirations like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. I'm just wondering yeah. how does Natalie do with this as well? You're here. You are a young woman, um, and you're you've got you are dealing with a bunch of issues. And I'm just wondering how you make this work. When I was first, when I first had a major hemorrhage, I had a lot of I had a lot of plans that I wanted to go. I wanted to see shows, and I canceled almost everything. I did not want to go out. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to be in the world, especially the challenge vision. Like I would go and like close one eye and it was very, it was very difficult for me. And at a certain point, I just didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do other things. And then I went the other direction. Then I was out all the time and doing things. And then of course I got burnt out. And so again, keys, the key is balance and knowing how to manage it. And it's not easy all the time. There's some days I wake up and I know it's a day that I need to put my glasses on and I may not feel as pretty as normal, but Everyone has something, right? And as you mentioned to phenomenal women, everyone has to deal with something at some point. And it is so important to take that step and say, you know, today I don't, I don't feel like I want to go out. Today I don't want to handle that. But then sometimes you've got to make sure that you leave your apartment. And that's why I take those walks because I can easily, if I just stay in my apartment all day, I do live in a studio apartment in New York, so that's a little different. I feel cramped. My life feels very small. And so I make a point at certain times to just take myself physically out of the space and go out there. But in equal measure, I make sure sometimes I want to take a nap and I just want to hang out. But I do want to make sure that I enjoy my life. And I think that everyone just wants to think about, like, what brings them joy? What kind of activities will, like, light them up? And get rid of the rest of the other things. Oh, great advice from Natalie. I love that you're a Focus on Diabetes champion and we've got you on the show tonight. Thank you for being fabulous. <laughs> We love you. Thank you. You, you were awesome. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back, Natalie, and find out what it's like to deal with some of the same eye challenges you are and compete in a beauty pageant, especially when you're representing <laughs> Diva Bedek. Oh my! Well, before we do that, let's talk about three other phenomenal women, including T. Boz, Left Eye, and Chili, who have sold collectively more than 75 million records worldwide and considered the most successful R&B girl group of all time. That's even bigger than the Supremes. All right, let's listen to Let's Do It Again, courtesy of Sony Music. in a beauty pageant, I immediately thought, wow, I haven't been in a bathing suit in quite a while, but that's kind of an interesting <laughs> challenge. And then she admitted, no, no, Max, and I'm talking about myself. Please welcome to the show, Andrea Sledge. Hi, Andrea. 
you know, that. And I told them no. And then they gave me a piece of paper, gave me a lot of literature, um, wrote the number down, you know, and told me that I needed to see, you know, my uh, my healthcare physician, you know, immediately. And, you know, they did right. tell me then, that. I'm glad. No, and I'm sure uh, we'll be talking to Patricia in a little bit. I'm sure she does that at her health fairs. And if there's time, we'll ask Dr. Cheryl Reynolds to comment as well. So, But then you went into some kind of denial and deep depression, which is not uncommon. And I appreciate your honesty in talking about this because, as I mentioned earlier with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, we, we are getting a lot more attention and a lot more respect to mental wellness issues. So talk us a little bit about that and what kind of led you out of it. What, what, what so, were you feeling with the depression that, you know, when you say I have deep depression, what, what, what did that feel like? So I immediately, you know, started to think about everything, you know, I, you know, about me wanting to be a mother, you know, what did that look like, you know, in, you know, in potentially carrying a child, you know, or passing it on to my children, what does that look like? Um, just my everyday life, you know, all the things that I love to do, um, the foods that I loved to eat because I, I'm a baker, you know, and I love to cook. So I had to change everything about my lifestyle, and and that was difficult for me because, of course, you know, in the African-American community, you know, everything is made with a lot of extra love. That's what I call it, extra, extra sweet love. And there literally came this space where I felt like I didn't know how to do anything anymore, you know, because I literally had to relearn how to eat to live and not live to eat. And and that was wow. extremely that was extremely hard because now what I realized was that and and what I and I'm a person that's straight from the hip, very plain. What I had to tell myself was, okay, Andrea, sugar is the bad person, literally. And it's a no-go. So there's no, oh, just a little bit, oh, this and that. There just was not, especially with my with my numbers being what they were at that time. So I knew that I had to get pretty strict pretty fast. Um, but what pulled me out of it was I am a woman that fully embraces everything about being a woman, the beauty of being a woman, the femininity and being a woman, and what is so, you know, about the human mind, you know, if you allow it and listen to some of the things that it tells you is, you know, immediately I felt unpretty. I felt like, I felt like I wasn't beautiful. I felt like if I had to disclose that to anybody that I was dating, that they were going to look down on me. Um, but what I also had to realize to myself was, okay, look, Andrea, life is something that happens for you and not to you, okay? So there's just something bigger for everything, and I truly believe that. And be it as it may, diabetes or not, you know, here I am, and I can do two things. You know, I know that it's very popular in, you know, the breast cancer community. I can lay down or I can fight like a girl. So 
it's up to me what and I want to do. For you, fighting like a girl meant entering a beauty pageant. So how did you it get to that? I, we, we all we want we want to before we get to the beauty pageant because I'm fascinated, and I, and you're um, you're fantastic. I, you you uh, back in 2019 you were diagnosed with diabetic retinopathy. So going back to yeah. Unpretty, which we know as a TLC song, so thank you for that reference. Uh, <laughs> like, here you are, you're living with type 2 diabetes, you're, you're going through that, now you're dealing with eye challenges. Talk a little bit about that. And again, like I would think it would affect your self-esteem and self-confidence to then propel yourself into a beauty pageant circuit. So I started competing in pageants in 2009. And so... When, and that was, like, all kind of gelling at the same time. And so in 2019, when I was I was driving, and while I was driving, my right eye um, started to experience some, some blurred issues. My left was okay at the time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my left eye went dark. And... I pulled up, I was able to pull over, I was able to call my fiancé and call my mom. Um, They were able to get me um, some assistance to get me to uh, my retina specialist because I was already seeing one from an earlier uh, event that happened in 2016 because I had a a diabetic um, uh, eye stroke in my right eye in 2016. So when we get there, he was like, okay. You know, so here it is, you know, that I experienced a full retina detachment and um, I had to have um, immediate surgery. That's what happened. And so after that, um, there was just a series of other challenges that just kept coming uh, with my eyes. And I felt the lowest and most defeated I could ever feel because from April 1st of 2020, well into January, of this year, I spent all of that time totally blind. And I had signed up for the pageant before all of this happened. So through the pandemic, I said, you know what, I'm just going to drop out. I'm just going to drop out. And my fiance was like, well, if that's what you want to do, but I really don't think that you should. And again, I said, I can do two things. I can lay down or I can fight this thing. So I made the decision that, you know what, regardless of what's going on, I am going to press through and do what I love because pageants are extremely liberating experience for me and and a lot of, you know, women and men that compete in pageants as well because they're more than just the beauty aspect of it. It's, you know, being able to sit in front of a panel of judges and be able to share and tell your story and share with other contestants about what is going on with you so that way you have a far more global reach than you normally would. So that's why I felt I had a service, not just to myself, but the diabetic community that I serve to do this, to let them know that regardless of what's going on with you, you can do this. You can do anything you put your mind to. It's incredible. I just want to go back, if you don't mind talking more. So you were – you were blind up until this beginning of this year. So were you functioning as a blind person? Like you, I mean, that had to be quite a, a life challenge right there. So it was extremely challenging, and I'm grateful for the support system that I had um, because 
uh, imagine not being able to see you to comb your hair, to, you know, put yourself together, to, you know, make sure that your eyebrows look right or, you know, all of the things that I would normally do, you know, just to basic grooming, you know, and not being able to do so. And then once I was able to see, it's so weird, I looked like a totally different person to me because I hadn't seen myself in such a long time. But so now you have, do you have vision in both eyes or just in one eye? So I have vision just in the right eye. I do not have vision um, in the left eye anymore. There is a um, cataract in there that they are uh, considering removal, but they are afraid to just because of the damage to the retina before. So we're kind of in limbo with it right now. So right now I only have vision in the right eye. All right. Well, I want to bring in our um, Patricia Eddy Gentle. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it. I want to bring in Patricia Eddy Gentle. She's our registered nurse, certified diabetes care education specialist, always on the show. Patricia, I have to tell you, Andrea Sledge's story is incredible. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It is definitely incredible. I am amazed at um, how she has faced the challenges and just continued to be who she is and to inspire others along the way because that is that is truly I mean some people have the difficult um, find it very difficult and challenging to just continue and to keep their spirits um, at a level where they're able to provide self-care but when uh, self-care is not neglected and you're thinking about other people, then you definitely uh, have the right attitude and focus. So congratulations and continue to be the warrior that you are. Thank you. Thank you That's so much. That's an amazing much. journey. Thank you. Thank you. And, Patricia, I want to touch on something that Andrea said and Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl Reynolds said, and we'll bring her in in a minute, too, about the health disparity. I mean, we just heard Andrea's testimonial about just how difficult people of color, specifically African Americans, she mentioned, uh, we want extra, extra. It, it, you're, you have been working in the Atlanta population for decades, helping people with diabetes. A lot of this stuff people are nodding along to. What do you have to say to that as an educator? Well, as an educator, I and you know, I am really in the midst of what she is um, talking about, and I fully understand, um, yes, there are many disparities in the way that we receive care. And speaking of health fairs, that is one of the foremost ways of capturing attention, in my opinion. I've been involved in a lot of health fairs, and when we do health fairs and do glucose testing, normally what we do is um, if there is any person who has a high blood sugar or a significant number where they need follow-up care, we stress the importance of that as well as the form that they fill out because our health fairs are, you know, um, to, to do the blood glucose, we have a waiver someone has to sign and also provide their provider's information for those who have significantly high numbers. So on that form, um, you know, we pull those two aside, and we know that these are the high numbers that were captured during this health fair. 
letters are sent to the primary care provider that that person has listed saying that, you know, your patient attended our health fair on such and such date and was found to have a blood glucose level of whatever. And hopefully, you know, we have stressed that they should follow up and hopefully they will. But if they don't, that physician has the information and they will reach out to them, hopefully. Sometimes, um, you know, there's a nonchalant effort on the part of each one, but in order to try and to disraise, erase those disparities or those nonchalant um, efforts, we do have follow-up with that physician. We don't contact them or call them, but the letter is sent, and hopefully that is a way that we can follow up or encourage the follow-up. We do follow up with the person uh, if they provide a number. Many times the phone number is, you know, they're transient. They just drop by the health fair, and sometimes there's not a good phone number or a good address. So, But most of the time the, the provider, if they don't provide the provider's address, but they do give you the name, we can look that up. We can usually find out, you know, and they can usually tell you the street, maybe not the street number, but they know okay. where they're located. And so that right, follow-up, does, it does help a lot. All right, we're going to give the final thoughts to Dr. Cheryl Reynolds because I know she does a lot of community outreach, too. She's still with us on the call. Dr. Cheryl, thank you for being a part of the show all night long, especially Natalie as well as there. But I wanted to ask you, since, I mean, this is such a powerful testimonial about why health fairs are important and how they could really change lives. And I'd love I to hear agree. I agree. Thank you so much for, again, having me, for me being part of this discussion. And I agree health fairs are so critically important because one of the things that we see that our patients need is increased awareness and education. And it allows us that opportunity, as previously said, to interact with those communities where access to health care may not be as readily available due to various factors, you know, barriers, whether it's finances, whether it's fear of going to the doctors. We see with the pandemic there's a lot of fear around health, um, but it allows us to go into the community. And for me, doing it for so many years as an eye care practitioner, we partner with some of our healthcare teams, and so it's the optometrist, it's the primary care physician, nurses, and we all go into the community and provide health care. We've done this internationally during our Jamaica mission trip, and we provide health care. We're able to detect so many diseases. As Dr. Singh said, you know, diabetes is exploding. It's another epidemic or pandemic when you look at the numbers, and one of the biggest areas of diabetes is a pre-diabetes. 88 million people have pre-diabetes, and a lot of those patients may also be at risk for developing eye health issues. And the other patients that have diabetes, of those 7 million people with diabetes don't even know, Max, that they have diabetes. They're walking around undiagnosed with diabetes. So this allows us an opportunity to detect for those patients earlier, whether they see the primary care physician and get a glucose screening, and it allows us as eye care practitioners because, again, symptoms could be blurry vision, fluctuating vision, changing vision, loss of vision, and the importance of an eye exam in helping to detect 
um, diabetes. And so just remember, audience, that diabetes is a disease that affects the body in many ways and can cause damage to the eyes. I say it's, it's a disease that affects from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. And so for eye health issues, it's important that we're all aware that it can affect uh, the back of the eyes. The stories, the testimonials today just really highlights the importance of a comprehensive dilated eye exam every year in early detection of these complications so that we can uh, get them, you know, the treatment that they need earlier so that we can save their sight. So I always tell my I students, you know, we just don't You're save the eyes, we save lives. We're going to have to make this an annual podcast. I want to thank all my guests for joining us tonight, especially TLC for bringing that crazy, sexy, cool. Andrea, I'm looking forward to the pageant. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Finn, thank you for joining us. Dr. Cheryl Reynolds, Patricia, I'm going to see you next month on our mystery podcast. Oh, my God, a Christmas carol is coming up. I'm getting nervous. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and we're so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. And get ready for September because it's all about detectives at DivaBetic. Let's listen to TLC. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.